Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Iruk the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Machan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. On the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, I'm delighted to be joined by Professor Anne-Marie O'Dwyer chatting all things the psychiatry of cancer. I want to say that it's very common to be very distressed, to have a very prominent psychological response to cancer, that they are not alone, that lots of other people feel in that way, and that it's important for them to have information. Information is power, but it has to be the right information. As ever, we're available on all podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. Are they peaking too early? And this autumn is going to be a you know a massive mark in terms of where they are actually are as a team. I'd love to know you know which fountain of youth Johnny Sexton is drinking from. As a 37 year old to be doing what he's doing is is incredible. I think it'll be tight. I think Ireland at home are still a really tough team to beat, and I think the, it's just the weight in the last 10 15 minutes that's what gets it for me. I, I hope I'm not too down on the lads. I think either way, it's a tight match. It's the world number one versus the world champions this Saturday as Ireland's Autumn Series kicks off with a bang against Springboks at the Aviva Stadium. And on tonight's episode of The Left Wing, we have a very special guest joining us to preview the big game. Will Slattery here with you and I'm joined by Luke Fitzgerald and a true legend of South African rugby and that is the one and only Brian Habana. And Brian, we've so much to talk to you about, such a mouth-watering prospect this Ireland-South Africa game is this Saturday. But the team news today from the Springboks, a real statement of intent, such a strong squad. What was the big talking point for you? I think the biggest talking point, you know, Chazen Colby back in the mix straight into the fullback position, which he hasn't really played at for the box. And again, given the likes of a Dwayne Vermeulen not in the group, you know, seeing how someone like Jasper Visa goes, I think for me, the matchup up front is is a pretty tough one. I think back, out the back, there's some, some real excitement. But, you know, when you come over to the Northern Hemisphere and looking at the weather forecast, um, I don't think it's going to be a left wing throwing the ball around a fee. Yeah, that bomber squad as well is such an intimidating prospect. I know from an Irish perspective, it's one of the areas of potential concern. How big a weapon is it for South Africa, do you think? So it's actually a revisit. We didn't really have a bomb squad throughout the rugby championships. Shark Nino would change tactics just, just a little bit there, Will. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go. I think, you know, two pure fetches in Dion, Dion Ferri and Quaha Smith on, on the bench, who will probably come on and cause a bit of havoc in, in the loose. But a real statement of intent in terms of announcing the team, you know, sort of on a Monday um, or sort of knowing what they're doing and then sort of Tuesday putting it out there. So it's going to be interesting to see how Andy Farrell responds from a team selection perspective. Bomb squad, we know, has been vitally important for the Springboks, you know, in that run up to the World Cup win in 2019 and, you know, played a pretty impactful role, you know, throughout, you know, the last couple of years. So left it and then come back to it, you know, first time in a while. And the, the most difficult thing is, particularly when you're playing up north, you know, if something happens early, to a backline player, like potentially happened early on this season, um, you're you're left wanting. 
Yeah, Luke, it's an interesting one that Brian says they've gone back to that, you know, power base bench and it uh, maybe an indication that they feel like they can get at Ireland there. And I know when we discussed the match last week, you said that you think Ireland should very much stick to the game plan that they've been honing over the last while, that kind of pacey, high tempo game. But at the same time, to, to get the win, the physical stakes will still be so important and how Ireland match up there. Coming up against South Africa, I just think you're just coming up with some, some brilliant athletes, uh, really big men, kind of naturally gifted in that respect. Um, you know, and I think it's just dangerous for us to, to be trying to play or trying to match that. I just don't think we'll ever be able to do that. So I think the best way for us to do that, like, of course, you have to compete physically, but I think you have to kind of go the New Zealand route, as I mentioned last week, whereby I think you've got to try and move the big guys around. Uh, now, look, that's easier said than done. There's still some brilliant athletes that get around the pitch, and they're very fit as well for big guys. But I, I would be trying to move the big guys around. I think that's like the Irish pack uh, made up mostly of the Leinster guys. You know, their, their ball-playing ability and their ability to open up the pitch and, and, and get people in, you know, defending in bigger spaces when we have the ball um, with that handling ability and um, with that decision-making ability as well. I feel like that's really come on. You saw that against New Zealand um, on the line. Like These are, you know, big, big carriers that are able to still dish a nice delivery out the back or even play a front door to another forward. Um, so it means they're really hard to defend when they're doing that, even if you're, you know, a very physical team. So I think that's probably the way I'd be going about trying to play South Africa. I think um, their set piece and their line out are just very, very strong. And, um, you know, I think ball and play is probably the route I'd be going. I'd be trying to get that ball and play for as long as possible. Um, they still have some serious threats out wide. Um, that man, Colby, um, you know, strikes fear into any defense. The Pimpy, these guys, like they're just dangerous runners in, in broken fields, serious pace. Um, you know, so I think you know you, you have to be cautious in playing that game plan, but I just think that's that's the route forward against the, this this South Africa team. And I'm thinking of that French team as well, probably an English pack as well. I just think they're the teams that Ireland will find most difficult to break down at the moment. Um, and I think it's because of that size that they have and that physicality. So um that's my my thinking on on, on how Ireland should kind of go about it strategy wise, Will. Um, it's a very difficult proposition because South Africa is still so dangerous with ball in hand. That 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 killer pace out wide, um, you know. But I just think the pack is where you look at that bench split that Brian obviously has referenced. Uh, it's a bit of a risk always going that six two, but um, you know it, it's it's that that power game is definitely what they're looking to oppose in this Irish team. I feel like they think that's where they have the edge, uh, big time against us. Yeah, Brian, I remember there was a big thing made over here when Razzy Erasmus said that he thought Irish players were soft in that documentary about the World Cup win. Do you think the South Africans think they can bully Ireland this weekend? So, I mean, well, looking at, at the pack, and I think, you know, I actually was chatting to a few guys yesterday. I think if you look at the front rows, you know, for me, pretty evenly matched, you know, both both sides of the, you know, the park, you know, the Irish, you know, the fleet-footed, skillful, you know, take for long. Um, you know, that's an unbelievable player. So I think the the tight, you know, the, sort of the real front row battle as well as the the back row battle is good i think you know a big potential differentiator is in the lock pairing you know we've got you know world cup winners in, in Evan Etzebeth and Luat Diaga you know the likes of a you know a Ty Byrne is, is incredible in in his ball playing ability James Ryan you know are they physically you know where uh, Evan Luat the Franco you know Franco Mostert is is you know is is a lot to be you know considered for you know from a South African pack they will really know that they can go hammer and twirl at it, you know, for 40, 50 minutes, particularly in the front row and bring on a, a pretty decent uh, backup. But for me, the, the pivotal deciding factor is going to be in that second row battle, um, not only in terms of, you know, first phase opportunities, but then in and around, 
again, the skill linking, you know, someone like James Ryan in terms of the ability to know Johnny, you know, Johnny Sexton, the out the back tip-ons, you know, forward, you know, you know, forwards running incredible options where the South Africans are much more direct. And, you know, if that, you know, second row battle, you know, goes either South Africa's way or goes Irish way, you, you almost feel that that team, you know, will get the upper hand on the day. It is an interesting one, Luke, especially because it has been accused of, you know, Irish teams or, or Leinster in those big Champions Cup games against La Rochelle that, you know, the second row dealing with the Will Skelton and the South Africans would be a similar kind of physical profile. That that has gone a real kind of key way in tipping the balance of those defeats. Yeah, I think so, Will. And I think, like, if you, you know, I, I referenced probably the French and English packs because I suppose to a certain extent you're referencing Saracens and, uh, you know, the, the La Rochelle packs over the last couple of years that have caused so much trouble. And obviously that French pack too. Um, you know, uh, but I think they play, you know, a, a reasonably similar game plan to, to South Africa. Um, it's such a strength. Like it's, as Brian said, it's very direct, but it's still really hard to, to, to stop these big guys. Um, and they've also got brilliant decision, maker, decision makers kind of uh, to, to put guys in space and they run clever lines. Um, you know, I think sometimes we forget because they're a big team, and they're, they're very good at set piece that these guys still play on hard pitches, uh, fast rugby matches, you know, and I think they still have great ability to, you know, pick a hole and pick weak, you know, soft shoulders and things like that. So they are really hard to stop. And it's really, really important for this Irish team. Um, you know, while Andy Farrell will be looking, I'm sure, to impose themselves at home from an attack perspective, and you, you do need to have the ball for long periods against South Africa, I feel. Um, I don't think you can contain them, you know, if they've got 60% possession. It's just too hard, too many big runners and too much quality out wide. Um but I think the defense is probably the really key thing because, you know, while I feel that, you know, oftentimes it's very hard to win an arm wrestle against a South African pack, um, and particularly with the strength of that bench over 80 minutes, what needs to happen is the collisions need to happen further from the game line. So you need to be really game and you need to get off the line. You want to win the, 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 the actual collision, but the collision happens further away from the game plan. That, that's really, really important for this Irish team is that they get that first couple of steps off the line and try and push them back. Um, and I think what you might get then is they might revert to, to that kind of kicking game, which I actually think Ireland are actually, of all the teams, maybe Australia uh, to a certain extent, um, Ireland are naturally usually quite good at containing, uh, you know, that a, a kind of a kicking game. Like it plays to our natural strengths. I think Keenan is a great cover if he's back. Um, but I think we have lots of quality in the back three from a kicking perspective and receiving kicks under pressure. Um, not to say that South Africa, you know, still might get some pay there. But I think Ireland are well positioned, I think, actually, in terms of the, 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 the resources that we have to deal with that kind of attack. And, and that's what, probably where we need to get to. We need to get them playing that versus, you know, long periods where they have the ball and they're getting gain lines because we won't be able to contain them then. Brian, what have you made of Ireland's development over the last, you know, year and a half since they started playing some really good stuff under Andy Farrell? Because there was a period at the start of his reign where, you know, I think a lot of people were very frustrated with the direction of the team, but that's changed quite considerably. From your perspective, you know, looking from down in South Africa, what have you made of it? So firstly, I mean, you know, any coach coming in, you know, post the Joe Schmidt era was always going to have a tough one. It's not only in terms of the way you want to play, and even though Fares might have been in the in the structures, it's not only you know your type of leadership that you want to impose. It's your understanding of how the players are getting. It's the players' mentality of switching over to understanding you, putting the structure that you want to play. So that always was going to be a challenging potential first couple of months. But I think he's got a fantastic record of you know twenty seven wins, twenty wins in twenty seven games, which is which is absolutely brilliant. Uh, what we saw in New Zealand earlier this year was incredible. I don't think you know many would have you know been betting men and put appropriate bets in to see what Ireland caused you know, back uh, back in July. So 
an absolutely brilliant start and you know ahead of a world cup being in a position where they are the number one team in the world they get an opportunity um across this autumn to play south africa and australia and you know, if they come out victorious that you know they've beaten you know the three big southern hemisphere dogs um in in one calendar you know one calendar year which is going to be impressive so you definitely see there is a belief in the philosophy that uh, that Andy Farrell's brought in, and it had plenty took an initial stuttering start to to get going. But I think in terms of experience, in terms, I mean, I'd love to know, you know, which fountain of youth Johnny Sixon is drinking from. You know, as a thirty-seven-year-old to be doing what he's doing is is incredible, and you know that experience again, the success that Leicester Lens has continuously achieved, you know, within that, I think has been pivotal. But yeah, I think. Faz, what you initially wanted to do is definitely coming into fruition. The biggest thing is now ahead of a rugby World Cup, are they peaking too early? And this autumn is going to be a you know a massive mark in terms of where they are actually are as a team. Yeah, Brian, like what's the South African approach to World Cup? So I, I don't know, it's because we're we've never really done very well at one that we're kind of World Cup obsessed. Like we look at every single selection and every single result almost to what it means for four years' time. South Africa have had success, you know. Coming into a World Cup, but not in great form, and Rosie Rasmus came in and winning it. Like, what's what's the, what's your approach down there to a World Cup cycle? So, if I look at you know going into twenty three, it was very much like we were in potentially twenty ten. You know, we'd had a very poor year. Um, obviously, we didn't have COVID, so for me, you know, the amount of respect I have for this current group of international rugby players that has had to have the challenge of COVID. You know, we see clubs in financial distress at the moment. There's just so much going on that we didn't have to deal with. This current crop of Springbok players experience, you look at someone like Evan Etzebeth, you know, 31 years old, 106 test caps and still playing incredible rugby, you know, probably easily get to about 140, 145 test caps for his country, become the most capped Springbok of all time. Sia Khaleesi, an inspirational captain. And then you have some youngsters coming through, a, a Jasper Visa that stays at success with Leicester um, and being incredibly pivotal there. So it is an aging group of Springbok players, but I still think the average age is, you know, sub 30, which is scary to think how much more potential this team has. And, you know, we went into the 2011 World Cup as that Rugby World Cup champion tag, wanting to win back-to-backs. No team had ever done it before. A lot of pressure on our shoulders. You know, we'd had a great victory against British and Irish Lions, much like this this current crop, but it almost feels like you know this crop has got a real great potential uh, ahead of 2023. The only difference is they've got to face Ireland and France or New Zealand in the run-up to a final, which we didn't have to do in, in you know, 20, 2007 or 2011. You know, unfortunately, we lost to Australia, but you know we didn't have to overcome those hurdles. So yeah, this current crop is in, in a great state. End of your tours, eight months out from World Cup, are getting used as opportunities to give guys, particularly on the peripheries, opportunity to see how they can really measure up up north, given the fact that it is in France next year. So, Ireland, France, you know, first two weekends of an Autumn Nation series, um, you're going to know these boys are going to step up and, and be ready for it, particularly given that, you know, 38 3 loss that happened in 2017 that will be, be hurting for a big bunch of the guys who are currently in the squad who tasted what happened there back in 2017. Yeah, probably the best thing that ever happened to South African rugby was losing that game by so much because it brought in the uh, the Erasmus era. Luke, you know, from an Irish perspective, you know, in terms of what psychologically a victory could mean, you know, looking ahead to next year, or, or conversely, if South Africa do get a victory in Dublin, you know, and that power game comes to the fore, the whole questions will resurface, especially since to, to do well at a World Cup, we'll have to beat South Africa. So it, I think there is a lot on the line. I know, you know, we kind of talked last week and we, we were wondering what how much stock to put into it in terms of 12 months' time. But for me, there actually could be a lot of psychological kind of stuff like that at stake. 
I think of it differently than that phrasing that there's a lot on the line. Like, I think what what's really important is that you get some key learnings out of this. I think you like, you know, I, I just feel like it's it, it's so far away now. Like, there'll be different bodies coming in out, out, out of different teams. You know, different people coming in out of form. There's a Six Nations to play as well. Um, I just think there's a lot of rugby and a lot of water to go under the bridge before we get to that stage. And and you know what I think is very important is that I think both teams will be really feeling each other out. I think you know the the six on the bench for South Africa is very interesting. I feel like that's something that they're saying, mm, okay, that's worked quite well for kind of La Rochelle, you know, for France and things against Ireland. Um, you know, just they seem to be able to weigh them down. So I feel like this is a real learning experience for both teams. So really interesting to see Andy Farrell's team. He's got a good look, early look at the South Africa side and. Whether he goes, okay, is it more important for us to get a win here from a psychological perspective, or is it more important for us to go, okay, they've gone six on the bench. What do we do? Do we do we match up with them, or do we say, do you know what, we want to have guys who are able to kind of up the pace in the backs, and we think we can hang on and play a faster game? Do we you know do we go with a more traditional split on our bench? So um, there's just it's, it, that'll be really interesting. I think this is a learning experience versus uh, you know uh, you know there being a, a huge amount on the line, and I think whichever teams learn more during this interim intervening period from this game to the match will be the team that that wins out on that day which is the most important day let's face it um of course both teams will have one eye on that on that match but it is a long way away and i just think both like what will be really interesting both teams i think will have you know their strongest guys out and it'll be a real uh real tester but i think the the learning is, is the key part here for me will Fair enough. Maybe it's just me who's World Cup obsessed, and maybe I'm just kind of projecting my feelings onto everybody else. Um, but yeah, as you mentioned, it's 12 months is a long time away. Brian, you mentioned earlier Johnny Sexton and how well he's playing lately at 37. Will South Africa be really targeting him early and often, you know, with those big ball carriers? Will they be trying to make him make as many tackles as possible, given, you know, his age profile? They could potentially. I think if Johnny showed us anything uh, in the summer against New Zealand, you know, even at 37, he's not going to shy away from the from the contact and physical ability of of the game, which I think is again where where he's at at the moment. It is an attack where he really runs the roost. So you know, with the South Africans attack him, I think it's you know inside outside shoulders that they want to try get a lot of momentum with. I don't think it is going to you know phase Johnny. Um, of all people in the world, you, you always feel that you know he's he's nonchalant when it comes to, and he's been targeted for what twenty years in in that position. You know he stood up to the test, and again he he does he does the job necessary. I think Andy Farrell's you know got a really great understanding of those in and around him that potentially allow him to bounce in and out of the defence so that he potentially doesn't get targeted as much. But yeah, if he's not going to shy away from the defensive abilities. You know, will South Africa target him potentially? Will it affect Johnny? Not in my opinion. Another thing about Johnny Sexton, Luke, has been the talk about his interactions with referees. Leinster played the Sharks recently at the RDS. That was a major talking point, I know, from a South African point of view. Already today, Jack Nienamber was asked about it. Johnny was asked about it himself. And it's a relatively inexperienced referee, Nienam Shakeli from Georgia, who hasn't handled many test matches of this magnitude. So there's a few little subplots there as well around that. Is he the guy that that uh, was referring the Italian match? Yeah, uh, yeah, that was a brilliant decision. That that uh, remember un- under pressure, he was obviously able to think clearly. So great to see him getting an opportunity. Um, I didn't realize that he was he was in there. Look, I think it'll be a great experience for him. But the one thing that you could say about both uh, both the South African and the Irish setups is that 
both set up put pressure on the referee. You know, you, I mean, Rassi is obviously just off that, uh, yeah. that, 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 uh, we're not going to call it a rant, but certainly, uh, it was quite close to that. Um, you know, in, in the Lions series. So, like, I think both teams are always looking for an edge. Johnny is very much more kind of, I think, the direct or the aggressive one in terms of maybe who's dealing with referees from an Irish perspective. I've never really seen Andy Farrell engage too much on that front. So, yeah, maybe maybe the coaching staff more so. Like, Khaleesi seems to manage that really well with the referees. His personality seems to be very calm, I think. Um, kind of a little bit different to, to, to Johnny in that respect, who is maybe a bit more... Um, a bit more outward, a bit more aggressive, maybe in, in in how he kind of deals with people, a bit more direct. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I don't think it'll be that significant in in in, in what I'm looking for in the game. I think I'll be more looking for the actual rugby versus who's who's managing it. I think, um, you know. The referee really comes into play when you get on top in a game. So whoever has more of the ball, whoever's going forward and attack, will generally get the favorable position, uh, the, the favorable decisions. That doesn't really change in in any sport. So I, I feel like that's it's a bit of a non-issue to be t- talking about. It's interesting, certainly. Um, you know, it it, uh, it it you know you can see both teams are obviously fairly animated and you know how they feel about decisions are being made, whether it's right or wrong. But really, they'll be focused on how they're playing. Will in, in my opinion. So I, I feel like it's a bit of a non-factor. Brian, were you one of those South Africans who was up in arms about Johnny Sexton's behaviour in that Sharks game? Yeah, I think I definitely was. I think you know, we all know Johnny's as involved in a game, you know, physically, mentally. He puts every bit of his being and you know, he's as passionate as, as it comes. He, he literally toes that line. I, I do think you know, where the game is going, if we're talking about you know, trying to open up the audience to, to new fans and you know, things that we potentially don't want to see in, you know, in, in rugby that we're potentially seeing in, in other sports globally. So the big thing, if you go back to the Lions series, you know, Sia, to your point, Luke, it was probably maybe a little bit more subdued. But it is that, you know, how much baiting does does a referee get before he, he stamps his own authority on the game? You know, Johnny um, you know, deals with things in, in the way that Johnny deals with it. But you know, if we are trying to produce a game where, again, not only is there a fair level of respect for those officiating, which I think is really important, you know, the referees under the officiators and you know, their assistants are under you know, constant scrutiny just around making good decisions. And you know, it's, it's probably not giving a, the game a good look. So... I definitely think there will be a lot said in the media this week. It's going to be interesting to see how Johnny handles it. Again, I don't think it will douse the fire with which he plays the game. And, you know, is it a reflection of him being rude? I definitely don't think so. It is more a reflection of, you know, how much he's fully into and committed to, you know, to play the game of rugby, which which is brilliant to see. But I think managing that accordingly, you know, giving the referees the the right amount of respect, I think is definitely going to be a key factor come, come the weekend. It'll be an interesting subplot to watch out for. And Brian, Luke mentioned Razi Erasmus there, such a big character in the game. I think people are interested, you know, the dynamic or the kind of the balance of power between himself and Jack Nienaber. Like, how much influence does Razi Erasmus still hold over this Springboks team? Is he still heavily involved? Is it, is it Jack Nienaber's team through and through? What's that kind of, you know, balance like? Yeah, I mean, if you've been watching the press conferences of the last uh, week and a half, Razi's been in the center of each and every press conference. So I think he's very much still involved. For those that don't know, him and Jock Ninaba go a long way back. I think they, they were in, in the army together. Um, yeah, they were at the Blumf- in Bloemfontein together with the Cheetahs, moved down to the Stormers together. Uh, I was with him. I think Rassi Kutnes was subplotting with us in 2007, of the World Cup. Him and Jock were with the Springbok squad in Australia. Um, I mean, down in New Zealand in, in 2011. So they they get on like 
better than bread and butter. Um, you know, Rusty, even though he hasn't been in the stadium or pitch side, you know, because of the ban, Saturday will actually be the first time he's back in the stadium, which you know potentially gives another another plot twist. Will uh, with regards to you know, is he going to be pitch side with water or is he going to be up in the box? But Rusty has been incredibly involved, even though he hasn't been physically present. And you know, if anything from his last few press conferences is to go by. He has still had got a got a very strong hole in terms of the role he plays within the squad. So has he given Jacques Minaba a bit of leeway to try to stamp his own authority on it? I think Jacques you know, had to put his hand up with Rassi not being physically present. But yeah, you can definitely feel there's a, a massive Rassi Erasmus influence in you know, not only the way we seeing the Springboks. Um, I think there's been a few TikTok challenges internally as well, um, given his Guess Who's Back uh, video clip that came out recently. Yeah, look, I, kind of like Eddie Jones as well. Like, I, I personally really enjoy having those characters. Now, you know, you can say what he did in the Lions tour. He got a ban for it. So obviously it wasn't the right thing to do. But I, I enjoy having those big personalities in the coach's box. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah. And I think for the neutral, it just adds an extra little bit of spice in there. Uh, you know, Rassi, I think usually, um, he's so passionate. I just feel like he can't really, that, I think that passion, if you're playing for him, I'm sure to be absolutely contagious. And I think himself and Nina Bar seem to be like a really nice duo. Nina Bar seems to be a little bit calmer, a little bit more clinical, maybe. Um, perhaps not behind the scenes, but certainly outwardly anyway. And I think it seems like a real nice combination for a team to have. Uh, you know, you'd probably get the technical stuff from Nina Bar, and maybe you know, if you're, 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 I'm sure your your motivation for a big game certainly wouldn't be lacking with someone, um, you know, like like Rassi kind of firing the team up and getting the most motivation in the right place. So I think it's a really nice balance. I think you know Eddie Jones for me. Um, sometimes is, he hits the mark, sometimes he doesn't. With some of his comments, sometimes they're. Uh, you know, a little bit odd uh, at times, and maybe there's a little bit of gamesmanship there. But that's, I think, that's what makes a test week, isn't it? It makes it makes it more intriguing. You kind of get a sense of, you know, what he's thinking about, who he's trying to target, um, and the same kind of probably goes for for Rassi as well. So. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's great. I think it's a real coup that South Africa got him back just in time. I think we talked about, uh, you know, we touched on maybe Brian's, you know, views around how, why South Africa get it right all the time. I think they've got great people. I think they really do. I think they've got a good eye for talent. They're a creative setup as well. I think there's there's a lot of talk about maybe them playing maybe a simple game plan. And yeah, look, I think that probably plays to, to, to their to their strengths to a certain extent, but they're very creative and they've, they've thought through all the different options. And I think they've really figured out what, you know the the where the strengths of this team lie and and how to play against all the different oppositions. So this this is the biggest challenge in in world rugby for me. I think coming up, um, you know, I think just in terms of the resources that South Africa have, the the players and Brian mentioned the age profile. I think this team is really peaking really nicely for the World Cup, and I think they'll be favourites even though France are on home turf. I think this South Africa team will be really really hard to beat, um, just because I think they have all the pieces and the puzzle in the right place coming at the right time. So massive massive challenge this weekend, yeah. Just before we get your prediction, Brian, you know, the difference, I suppose, between the Island South Africa game this weekend is that South African teams are now up and running properly in the URC. I know that Leinster Sharks game I mentioned earlier was an absolute cracker. It got a lot of coverage and attention over here. You know, how big a success do you think it's been? It just seen obviously with the Bulls toppling Leinster and the South Africans getting the URC trophy last year. Is the interest building nicely in the tournament down there? The URC is absolutely brilliant given that we were in sort of club rugby wilderness, first leaving Super Rugby and then COVID happening and sort of isolated on our own for the better part of two years during the, the pandemic, being given the opportunity to at least perform in a club competition that allowed you to 
test yourself against international superstars outside of South Africa, I think was was absolutely brilliant. If I'd been a betting man, well, I probably wouldn't have seen the Bulls playing against the Stormers in a final and, and the Stormers winning it. You know, the Stormers as a club or union in South Africa were going through their own financial administrative difficulties. And there was a lot of uncertainty with regards to that. So would I have called a, a Stormers-Bulls final with the Stormers winning down in Cape Town? Probably not. But you know that has just created a a new sense of excitement. Uh, it's wet the appetite for what is potentially to come, going into a, a Heineken Champions Cup in you know in, in a couple of weeks' time. So we've seen hopefully the impetus and the impact that it has had for the Northern Hemisphere, you know, clubs in Ireland, Scotland, and um, and Italy and Wales. You know, playing against you know some top quality opposition from South Africa. I think the legacy of where European rugby is is probably you know turned a corner and it's going to go on where does South Africa as a nation then fit in you know do we stay in in rugby championship or do we sort of start pushing the the envelope to see if an opening in the six nations happens so how would you prefer Brian so for me it it doesn't make sense that South Africa you know from a club rugby perspective plays in the northern hemisphere and from an international perspective plays in the southern hemisphere it just doesn't you literally your body's having to peak for 12 months of a year because you know if you're not starting and finishing at the same time in either hemisphere you know it becomes really difficult to manage players schedules all of these things so with the unions and the clubs now playing up north it probably makes more sense uh to you know, sort of open up the door to see if a six nations gap is possible but then the whole debate of is it a relegation? Does it get expanded to eight teams? So it just doesn't make sense um, for me to be playing your club rugby competition in one hemisphere and your international rugby competition in in another. It just it doesn't make sense for me. So I mean, I've loved Super Rugby, I've loved the Rugby Championship, the Tri Nations, but we're now in a very different ball game. So again, if we don't get alignment on your international season, your domestic season, it's going to be a pretty tough one for the players to to be consistent, you know, over a twelve month period. Yeah, certainly a very interesting one to watch in the coming years. Just before we let you go then, time for your prediction for Saturday. Will it be the world champions or the world number one getting the win? Yeah, I'm going to go with the, with the world champions. I think as much as you know, Ireland are without doubt the number one team in the moment, I think that Springbok back, the physicality around that, the bomb squad that's coming back into play and probably from a South African perspective, a more favourable weather condition game in terms of you know the traditional physical battle that you know we love to play. Um, I think in, in the backs, we've you know, got a real great mix of someone like Damon Willemser, who has really made that 10 jersey his own with someone like Andre Pollard injured. And you've got you know, superstar you know, sprinkling in, in the back between Chesan Colby, Makazoli Mapimpi, and, and Kirtley Orenser. And you also have guys that know the Irish infrastructure in both Rassi and Jock Ninaba, who are over at, at Munster. And then someone like Jason Jenkins, who has come in, you know, sort of left field, you know, knows the, the ins and outs from a Leicester, a Leinster playing perspective and could potentially be infiltrating that. So I'm going to go, yeah, South Africa by a few. I don't see much in it, but just given the weather conditions, given that 6-2 split in the bomb squad, you know, seeing that the boys can start this, you know, Northern Hemisphere, end of nation, uh, end of your tour off on a bank. When you put it like that, that's very depressing, Ryan. <laughs> You'll never be invited back out again. <laughs> well, I mean, you still owe me. You, you still owe me my image rights for the left wing uh, name, <laughs> Luke. Brian, great stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, James. Have a good one. Well, we're delighted to be joined by Keen Tracy to get the view from the Irish camp ahead of this weekend. Keen, how are things? All good, lads. Um, it feels like. Uh, a pretty big week, I have to say. It actually kind of feels like a bit of a, 
bit of a World Cup week, I think, um, which is always very exciting. I don't know if we're going to have that same buzz for the other two games, I've got to be honest. Um, this is just has a feeling of a very big game, very big week. Like you said, I was out in the Ireland camp earlier. Johnny Sexton was chatting. Gary Ringrose was chatting. Dan Sheehan was chatting. So, yeah, like the big guns are, are being rolled out for what is a big week. Yeah, it's funny. I like to hear all these World Cup comparisons because I was pushing it heavily earlier when Brian Habana was on. And I don't know if anyone else agreed with me. So whenever I see you and Rudd, you know, talking up the World Cup in 12 months time, I, you know, it lifts my heart. Uh, but Keen, how much do you kind of glean from these weeks when you're in around the team? Like, do you buy what they're selling or like, do you kind of have to take things with a pinch of salt? Oh, it's yeah, it's such a hard question to answer, Will, because um like I've been burned so many times at World Cups, like the last two World Cups, well, particularly the last one when I was like, Oh my god, you know, I really am believing that Ireland have a very good chance of beating the All Blacks in the quarterfinal. Like genuinely like the mood coming out of it was so calm and relaxed and we all know what happened then. But then you kind of flip it and you look at, you know, the New Zealand tour and, you know, having been over there on the ground, you do get a a good sense of how the players are feeling and I, I I bought into it again and but thankfully you know it was proven to be right this time around and um it's hard like the, the players are always going to come out and you know talk them not talk themselves up but they're always going to be positive about no matter what the the challenge lies ahead regardless of injury problems suspensions whatever it may be but I think you'd like to think that the longer you get spending in around them over the last few years the better gauge you get and I think Johnny Sexton probably set the tone today really as he so often does like it's been since Johnny Sexton's become Ireland captain it's been a joy for anyone covering him like journalist journalist wise because he just always he always gives you like good lines and considered answers. He's a bit like Ron Nagara, actually, I would say. That no matter what the question is asked, he'll always like give it consideration and you you usually get a really good answer. And today I suppose the 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 tone was set by, you know, him basically not reading in anything into the fact that Ireland are the number one ranked team in the world. He 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 was pointing to the fact that, you know, the barometer for success is at World Cups, and it's very hard to to disagree with that and this is a man who's been down the the world cup pain you know plenty playing road plenty of times in the past and um no one is kind of really getting carried away or excited by the fact that ireland are the number one ranked team in the world south africa are coming to town on saturday and they are still the team to beat whether you know we can we can chat about their style of play and all that but they are still they are the team to beat so it's a fascinating matchup like I mean the number one ranked team in the world and what what most people I think would still agree are the best team in the world so I thought the tone was really set by by that um it's been such a kind of welcome change I think from Andy Farrell that you know we we still are so far away from the world cup and like you said well maybe myself and Rudder a bit obsessed with the World Cup, but it's hard not to be. I mean, the World Cup is just so special. But the Ireland team are now talking about it, whereas in the past they just kind of shut down all questions about it. But they're they're talking about it in kind of positive terms. Like, I mean, you, you, we all heard Andy Farrell last week talking about, you know, he doesn't want his players to be kind of daunted by the fact that they're ranked number one team in the world. And maybe that's what happened in 2018, leading into 2019, when we all know what happened in, in that World Cup. So I think there's been a bit of a sea change across the board. I think that's probably reflective of the the mood in the squad generally behind the scenes that we don't see. Like we heard it from the second Andy Farrell took over that the kind of pressure valve was released. And I think you're starting to see that in kind of the, the public dealings as well, I suppose, with us. So um like I said at the start, it feels like a really, really big week. And yeah, I can't wait for it. 
yeah Luke from your own playing days like what was your approach when you were talking to the media ahead of a big game like were you trying to just I suppose feed them lines or trying to you know go off this, the party line that, I don't know Joe Schmidt or whoever else would have briefed you on or were you happy to kind of go out and answer a question with a, a more kind of honest answer or thoughtful answer as Johnny, Se- as Johnny Sexton does according to Keane Luke was always great Luke always gave us lines <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you're being <laughs> taking the piss or not, but I, I don't know. I, no, I genuinely did try an answer. Like, I, I didn't, I never liked the Declan Kidney used to nearly kind of talk stuff down, you know, and I used to hate that because I always think like people know when you're lying to them as well, you know. And I suppose I always had this belief that I'd never go into a sporting occasion thinking that I was going to lose no matter who I was playing against. And I always felt like most top sports people always felt that way. I had that inner belief. Um, so um, I generally try to give answers that way. But like, I think there's as well, like there, there's de- certainly a case for not, you know, not providing an, any extra kind of ammunition to the opposition. So just always give someone their due and their respect. And I think um, there's always a way of putting that where you can say, well, like, well, like, <laughs> I think I had a few interviews where I say, well, like, do you think I'm, do, do you think I think I'm a loser? Like, I don't, I don't ever go into something thinking I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose. So, you know. Is, is that confident or cocky? I, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's pretty. You know, um, I, I think it's very fair for a sports person to, to think that way. I think it's actually the only way you can think. So I think it's refreshing that they that they've dealt with it. I think as well. It's interesting here. Keen talk about some of the points that Johnny made. I always feel like he gets it, and he he cuts through a lot of a lot of the bullshit. He seems to be able to say things in kind of one or two lines that really hit the mark. And I think Ron Gar is a great, they have a different way of delivering things. Uh, Raj is really super considered and doesn't even hide it. Uh, you know, you, you could ask Raj something and he actually, what do you mean by that? Yeah, I, I find that I think he's a great, he's a great interview. Cause you really think like you can see him thinking on the spot about <laughs> like really what's the right answer. Um, Johnny is very, very sharp, like super sharp. I, you know, that's very obvious. I think whenever you sp- you speak to him, and he's very direct as well. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, he'd be a great interview, I'm sure, if you're uh, if you're in Keen's boots or your boots, you know, when you're when you're when you're talking to him, because you'll you'll get an answer. Uh, and I always feel like he kind of thinks similarly enough to myself, and in, in, in uh, and lots of like I think most sports people think the same way. I think he puts it very well. I never think he disrespects anyone. Um, you know, I, I, you never really come out of it thinking. Oh, he's given the opposition something to to kind of get fired up about there. I never really see that with Johnny. I always feel like he he's very much you know um, understands. I think where where the team is, where he is. I think he always has a good sense of that. And I think he generally kind of will tell you what he thinks. Um, and and maybe not exactly how he thinks they'll win, but that they think they'll win. I don't think he ever goes into anything thinking he's going to lose. So, um, not surprised to hear you had a, had a good day out with him, Keen, and that there's lots of uh, kind of interesting talking points from from when he was out. So, um, yeah, no, I think th- I think this Irish team has managed it really well with the media to a certain extent. It's not as combative, um, you know, as I think Joe. I think there was a period when Joe was there where it was very combative for a bit and very, um. They were just super cautious about, you know, kind of leaking anything and really thinking about the media too much. I don't think the guys think about it as much. I think they're very, they're happy to be open. Um, and, uh, you know, even when things weren't going well for 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 Andy Farrell at the start, I would think of his, his reign. I still think he went out and did interviews and actually talked. You know, he didn't try and, I never really felt like you were, he was sticking too closely to talking points. I thought he had tried to genuinely answer questions. So I think they've dealt with all that stuff really well. And I think that, that's a good that's a good omen, I think, coming into the World Cup because I feel like they won't let those things bother them. And they've had a tough period with the media too. So, it, you know, the last year and a half, two years, they've, they've actually seen a lot of that. So I don't think it'll be as, like, 
when I, the last World Cup I was, or the only World Cup I was at, the media getting the team actually influenced when, uh, when Joe, like who, like who Joe told that was playing on the bench. Like that was really, uh, there was guys who didn't know all the way up to the very end, like literally the night before the match that they were going to be on the bench. Like that's really disruptive. Whereas I think this team won't let that bother them. Yeah, that's it's such a good point because, like, I know that it, that kind of stuff just doesn't bother Andy Farrell at all. And like you know better than anyone, uh, Luke, that it really got under Joe's skin, and he wouldn't he wouldn't have hid that in terms of his public dealings with us as well. And I think Andy Farrell and his coaching staff, just to touch on another point that Luke made, like, I mean, because like the last year, whatever, has been so good and so positive, you forget how tough the, the start was. And there was a lot of criticism coming Andy Farrell's way, and particularly my cat when the attack just looked so confused, I would say. And even in terms of my cat himself, like they haven't held grudges against anyone in the media either. And I think that's probably been reflective again in the general mood, like, like we're talking about. And when you have a guy like Johnny Sexton, who you can put up on the, in, on the Tuesday of a big, you know, test week and basically set the tone for the week without having to worry because you're spot on, Luke. Like, he never says anything that's, you know, that the Blazers are going to be like, oh, my God, why did he say that? Like, he's just, he shoots from the hip, but he he knows exactly what he's doing. He's in control of the message. And I think it sets the tone. It sets the tone, like, media-wise, but I think it also sets the tone behind the scenes as well. Like, I mean, what a what a player to, to be able to follow. And I think, like, that's something he was discussing as well today in terms of, like, his captaincy and how much he's developed over the last couple of years. So, um, it's, yeah, like, I think, in gen- like, generally speaking, like, this Ireland squad are in a particularly good place, I would say. Luke, one interesting aspect about this week, and I actually texted Keane before we came on air to get some clarity around the A team. Like they have a match on Friday night against New Zealand A. Everyone's really excited to see some of the next generation of players. But is it a bit of a distraction as well to have the night before the South Africa game? And by Keane, correct me if I'm wrong, that the same coaching staff are basically double jobbing on consecutive days. Ideally, you'd like to be throwing all your attention into South Africa and maybe have someone else coaching the A team, which I think has been done in years past. It seems to me just to be. The timing is a little strange. Even if the, the All Blacks game was on Wednesday, you know, that would be a good bit of lead time to, to kind of turn the page. But the night before, to be still kind of wrapped up in another game doesn't strike me as, you know, the best way of preparing for the Springboks. Yeah, it's, I, I think you're right, actually. I think it'll be very tiring for them. But I think they're they're kind of a young, energetic staff anyway, I think. Uh, and I would feel like they should be able to get through it well. But it might be very hard to switch off from one to the other. Um you know, my sense is that it probably, as I say it, I'm kind of thinking, Do you know what, South Africa is such a big match that I think no matter what happens Saturday morning, you're going to get up and you're going to be like, whatever happens tonight before, you're going to be buzzing for this one. Like, this is a huge one. You see the team they've named. Um, like, it's a real proper test. And I think it's, um, you know, it's such an important, I think it's such an important team for us to kind of get a, to get a bit more learning against to see how we can really, like where we need to, what areas they're really, I think we know where, where they're strong, but where we can, you know where we might need to work on over the next year to get ourselves in a position to beat them at a world cup um i think we'll really get some learnings from that because um they've like that team is so strong and even that bench is so interesting isn't it i mean i think it's very obvious where they think they're going to be able to attack and and be able to put us under pressure um so how we cope with those things i think we'll it's a really important game for us so i think to i know to, to circle back to your point i don't think it will distract them on the day, but I think it's, you know, any other weekend where if it wasn't such a huge match, you might think, hmm, is that ideal? No, <laughs> certainly not. Um, but I think they'll be able to switch over given the importance. That's probably my own take on it, Will. 
don't know what Kane thinks. Yeah, Kane, I'd be interested to get your your feel for it because, as Luke mentioned there, even, like, I know they're, they're not old men, like, but the fatigue of coaching a match, like, must be very mentally, you have to be switched on, you have to be tactically thinking. I know you can say, oh, it's only an A game, but we know how much stock they've been putting in, you know, developing these players under the first 15, so I don't think they'll be going half, half-hearted half at it either. No, absolutely, and it's, this is probably a continuation of what we saw over the summer. Like, this is going to be different to the Emerging Ireland Tour, but, like, in the summer, they brought in Pete Wilkins from Connacht. Now, obviously, that was much easier to do because, you know, Connacht were, it was off-season for them, but he took he took a lot of, you know, responsibility on in, in the Maori weeks as well. So they didn't, as far as I'm aware, they didn't bring anyone else in, and you're, you're right, Will. Um, I had that confirmed earlier that it is, like, it's the full Ireland coaching staff are doing the A game as well. So it's like Andy Farrell will be doing two press conferences basically this week for team announcements. He's going to be doing the team announcement one for the A team on a Wednesday. And then on the Thursday, he's going to do the, the Ireland team announcement. Now, to be fair, he did that in the summer as well. And I, like, I, I can see your point 100%, but I just like the fact that Ireland are thinking outside the box, trying to make themselves uncomfortable you know even in terms of the coaches obviously the players will be different but you'll still have some guys who'll probably be asked to be extra squad players on Saturday maybe involved on Friday so it is tricky but I kind of like the fact that they're thinking outside the box and trying to put the players and coaches um under pressure so I, I would agree with Luke I think once Saturday comes and to be fair throughout all the week like South Africa is the main focus um I think at training today on Tuesday as we're talking they had 51 players involved because that number went up from 49 because Bundyaki is actually training with Ireland and so is Ian Henderson. Um, so like 51 players like is some number to be running in the, the week of like, when you're playing the Springboks. But this is another thing that Johnny Sexton was was touching on. He said it was actually, you know, when, when he realized it was going to be that number, he was kind of thinking, oh, like, how is this going to work? And you can imagine what he was probably really thinking privately. He didn't, he didn't probably tell us, but like you, you could tell enough from his facial expression. But he said to be fair that the coaches had run it really, really well, had really thought it through and it was organized well. So, um, like I said, I like that they're thinking outside the box, but I don't think, you know, the A game will be exciting for what it is on Friday, even though it's a bit disappointing that a few of the, the All Blacks players have been called up for, to the main squad. Um, but come Saturday, like that's really all that matters, isn't it? Do you know what it tells me? And I don't know what you two think. I, I think it tells me that he really, really knows uh, his whole squad. His got like his got like he knows like to be able to switch from interview to interview. I think they he knows there's probably a, they're not going to change how they play too much. They'll change the calls certainly for probably for to a certain extent. Um, but I think he's really comfortable with the game plan. I think he's really comfortable and knows all of the personnel. Like he's been around a long time now as well. But. I think he'll be comfortable going from game plan to game plan. And remember as well in November, like he's had, you know, three or four months to really prep this hard um, and think about how he's going to go through it. So uh, if he's done all those things well, and in fairness, the IRFU, like, I mean, that it's rare you'd have, you know, an organizational issue as well. I think this, this, the setup there is very strong. Uh, you know, you think of even the Lions squad, like the people who are doing the, lots of the people who are doing the, uh, the organization, logistics, all that kind of stuff. They're actually Irish guys. So, um, you know, I think these people are used to running big squads and, you know, having hectic schedules. So I think um, it's a real strength for them. And um, they probably have a way of doing things now. So, yeah, I think they'll be able to do it. Certainly challenging. But I think it shows a real confidence in his abilities as a coach and as a coaching staff. I think it shows a real, 
knowledge of his players and his game plan. So he's I think thinking, it's good. He's thinking ahead about the World Cup as well. Like I know you kind of made the point, Will, that like if it had been on a Wednesday, it would be different. And I fully agree with you. But he's probably trying to think, you know, if we add this extra game, you're going to have, you know, there's guys who are going to play in the Leicester games in the pool stages of the World Cup are going to be probably a lot of guys who will hope to be involved on Friday night. So um, it's probably in a way preparing for that as well, I would say, even though it's not a like for like because like you hit the nail on the head the night before is, is very different a few days out. And Keen, there's one other thing I wanted to ask you about. Luke mentioned the line store there at the David Nusifor briefing last week. He said he gave kind of a full backing to the prospect of Andy Farrell taking a year out from coaching Ireland and potentially being in with the Lions. Like, what do you make of that possibility? I know we're looking, whatever, looking to the World Cup, we're now going forward years and years and years. But again, I was just thinking like, from an Irish perspective, why would you want your coach disappearing for a, a full season potentially? Um, when you know his job is to develop the national team here, like I, I don't see, I don't think it makes a big difference for Ireland, Irish rugby in a good way for him to be gone for a, potentially for a year. I don't know what you think. My sense of that is probably if it happens that the IRFU would look at it as to begin the succession planning for Andy Farrell, and I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Paul O'Connell stepping up into more of a head coach role if he is the one that they have. I'd, and you'd imagine in an ideal world he would be the one whether he wants it or not like that's another story altogether but I would imagine they're probably thinking okay we get Andy Farrell if he does take a year sabbatical like Warren Gatland would do then it's a chance for Paul O'Connell to step up and that way the kind of the wheel keeps turning and then you know you end up with Paul O'Connell with a huge amount of head coach experience by the end of it and then you get someone else in to take on the the forwards that Paul O'Connell is doing now so um I wouldn't I, I think it'd be a hugely positive actually I, I know what you mean Will but if it meant a chance to to push on someone like Paul O'Connell and develop him into the potential Andy Farrell successor then I think that would be a good thing yeah fair, fair enough that's that's another viewpoint what do you think of it Luke yeah I'd say that's right I mean you think about the tour they might have already been thinking about it when you think of that Emerging Ireland tour uh, and maybe why they didn't bring him on that. So they might already be doing a little bit of preparation for that. So, yeah, I think that's probably, I mean, it worked very well for Wales um, to a certain extent. There was obviously some drop off in some years, but uh, when, when Gatlin wasn't around. But um, I think generally it worked well for him. I think it develops you as a coach. It would. I think it would be very hard to keep Andy Farrell if you said no to it as well. And I think if they think, if they, if they think as highly of him as I think they do uh i don't think they want to stand in his way of that kind of development opportunity as a, as a coach i think if you come back um from that co- you know if he comes back to an irish job after that i think he comes back enhanced as a coach he'll i think it does help you for future six nations say you got it for another two or three years after i mean gatland always seemed to have a real good knowledge working knowledge of who was playing well in all the different countries like he, he seemed to be able to get the whole picture and, and have a real sense of what players were good at what who they could attack I, i'm sure it helped him as a coach uh, for, for wales and in, in six nations following on from from um from lions tours so uh i i see lots of positives with that even though yeah of course you do lose someone in the interim but um you know you know you have someone good coming back in and you can also test someone out on a short run kind of one year thing so um i see lots of positives with that really not, not nothing to panic about to be fair you've made some good arguments there mate i'm not as against it as i was when i uh, came into the conversation you guys have made some compelling arguments to be fair uh we might finish up keen with, with predictions what, what way do you see saturday going i know there's still a lot of uncertainty around who might play for ireland and a few questions of that nature but from what you know what you think how do you see it going yeah, like, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see the team selection on Thursday. My understanding is that, like I said earlier, everyone trained today. Um, I think the likes of Hugo Keenan and Jameson Gibson Park, Craig Casey, 
all trained last week fully without any issues. Um, Josh van der Fleer trained today. I, I don't know that he trained yesterday, but he certainly trained today. So you have all the guys, Peter O'Mahony is another one, Tyke Furlong, all the guys who were doubts coming into the camp um, have all trained. I suppose the big question is how many, and we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, how many does Andy Farrell take a, a risk on i think i'd be very surprised not to see hugo keenan start um i just think he's he strikes me as the type of guy who'd be able to come back and hit the hit, hit the ground running it'd be very interesting what they do in the left wing uh pardon the the pun if it even is a pun will they bring jacob stockdale back in my sense is that he would be a very good like for like replacement for james Lowe. but if you're bringing hugo keenan in who's short on match sharpness do you bring jacob stockdale and that's two year back three who haven't played much rugby this season so Keane, just to come in on stockdale because i saw you talk talking about it i think it would be you know for him to come straight back into the ireland team having played very little rugby for years and having not been at the top of his game either i think i, I know I, I take your point about the left with a kicking option and like for like replacements but what does it say to guys like robert balakoon who have been tearing up trees and other guys like that if, if stockdale is who had maybe had a bit of reputation that he was getting into the team when maybe other players were playing better goes straight into the team having played almost no rugby in two years yeah, like he, he to be fair, he came back at the start of the season and he did look he did look sharp and he obviously picked up another injury. Like I I, I take that point, but I think like he, he's become the forgotten man. But like as far as I'm aware, Andy Farrell is a massive fan and he sees him as a really big part of his World Cup plans. So like so much of this will depend on how he's going in training. Like personally, I would love to see um Robert Balakoon come in and Matt Hansen shift to the left wing. That would be my preferred, but I was kind of putting myself into Andy Farrell's shoes and looking at how important that left footed kicking option. Could Jimmy O'Brien be a, a, an option on that left wing as well, purely for that left footed option? So um there's loads of kind of variables to this. I mean, who's going to play scrum half? You know, it'll be very, very, very interesting. But kind of when you look at the, the Springbok team, it's absolutely class, obviously, and stacked. But I do think there are a couple of areas where Ireland can get get after them. I mean, we all know what Cheslin Colby is capable of, but this is his first start um, at fullback. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be tested a lot. And it'll be very interesting to see how Ireland... Well, they vary their tactics. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of high balls come down in Colby, as good as he is in the air. Um, he hasn't played fullback at, at Test rugby before. I mean, even Damien Willems at, at out half. I think like that's a big win for Ireland with Sexton going up against him. Obviously, it's all dependent on what the the packs do, but um, it's not as they they are missing a couple of key players. Um, South Africa, so um. In terms of prediction, this is probably the longest answer I've ever given you, Will, for a prediction. Um, I would be quietly optimistic about Ireland's chances, I have to say. Um, you know, it's going to be very hard to hit the ground running within two weeks. And kind of writing about this in tomorrow's paper that, you know, it's going to be a massive challenge for them to somehow tweak their game plan I, I think evolve their game plan is probably a bit of a strong word but tweak their game plan from the summer because there's a lot of footage for the for South Africa to work off so how will my cats attack you know tweak they got to show different pictures to this spring box uh, pack um I, I hope that they stick to their guns and they don't try and, and I don't see it happening I could I could end up with egg in my face but I don't see Andy Farrell like you know going with a 6-2 split to match up against him I think Ireland will stick to what um has served them well all year and that is to play at high tempo and try and move this Springboks pack around and if they can do that and if the pack hold up up front I would have concerns around the scrum Um, I go back to the first test in New Zealand and the, the scrum was a real issue a lot of that is going to come down to the interpretation of um, 
the Georgian referee, Nikki Yashvili, my pronunciation of his name is always shocking, but like it's a big game for him as well. And, you know, like those first couple of scrums have the potential to set the tone. So um, if the front row can hold their own against what is a formidable outfit, um, I think Ireland have a good chance here. Well, I pronounced his name completely differently earlier, so one of us has gotten it badly wrong. So we'll have to find out. Mine isn't great. (laughs) We'll have to find out after the show which one of us uh, got closer to the mark. Luke, I'll give you the last word. Then you know, came into a lot of areas there. Like, what's your view and how it'll go? I think that that in that the ten area is definitely uh, and it's probably the only area where I really feel Ireland have an advantage. I think. the, the second row will be worrying to me. I just think they're so, like, even on, on the bench, you know, is it, is it Mustard on the bench or is he mm. star? Uh, Mustard on the bench. bench yeah. Like, they're, like, just the weight, the sheer weight for for that long. And they're actually pretty fit as well, these guys. They're not just big, heavy lumps, do you know, that kind of way. They're, they're, they can, they can do the 80 minutes. So they've got some serious quality there. And then, um, you know, the Bongi, like, of Marks, obviously, a hat. I think he had to. Start. I heard some chatter during the week on I don't know what podcast it was that maybe they might, um, keep Marks on the bench and really try and hit Ireland the last 30 minutes with a real fresh bench. Um, you know, but no, there, I, I think, you know, the only thing I would say is that Marks is. Is, is an unbelievable player, but we actually might have a guy who's actually very capable of matching him. Uh, the scrum might be the only thing I, I might be concerned about in that sense, but um, yeah, I think I think it is a tight one. I think they might edge it. I just feel like the pack, they might just have too much for us. Um, and I think maybe the last 20 minutes maybe tell the tale on that front. I don't think, I think the starting lineups are pretty tightly matched, you know, pretty pretty evenly matched for the most sense. I think they might have an edge at some of the set piece, but I think we might have an edge in, in, in open play. And obviously at 10, I think, is a, is a big help. Um, I just think, yeah, I just think Sexton's really purring at the moment. You know, I think he's really, really good. I think the centers are pretty even. Um but I think that last 20 for the pack might be just, it's a big ask. It's a huge ask. Um, I think Ireland are stronger in the, cent- in the centre has just come in. I think Lucanio Am is a massive loss. I think Ringrose is far better than Jesse Creel. Yeah, personally. I don't know. I, like, they're pretty strong there too. They're pretty strong. I, I think Henshaw definitely is an edge, but I might be, like Jesse Creel and uh, it's probably going to be Ringrose really, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely going to be Ringrose. Yeah, so that's a tight enough one. Creel is good. Creel is a serious athlete. Um, would you take who? Yeah. Which centre pairing would you take though? Henshaw, Ringrose, oh, or Ireland? Oh. I think definitely, definitely, Ireland. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. If Lucanio Am is there, I think it's yeah, Am. Yeah, Am is a big Am, loss. Like he, yeah. he was playing some serious rugby for them. Sorry, Am is a massive loss. No, yeah. I completely accept that. But I think like, Creel has played a huge amount of Test rugby, like against serious operators, and he is he's very good. Like Creel, I wouldn't be underestimating him, and I think. I like Delanda. I think he's good. He's not as good as Henshaw, but he's still very, he's excellent. Like judging him off the, his stint at Munster is probably not going to be the same as judging him, um, you know, with South Africa where he's more than likely going to be getting front football. Like you saw, he's still a handful to, to, to try and contain um, when he's going forward. And that back three guys, like I think they have an edge in the back three, if I'm being completely honest, uh, like Colby, is Chelsea and Colby ever going to be a liability in a team? <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't think so. I know he hasn't played there, but like I think he has more space there. I don't know. He's a night. I think he's just a nightmare to come up against. So 
the longer I talk, the worse my, my prediction is getting. <laughs> no, but no, I do. Th- I think it'll be tight. I think Ireland at home are still a really tough team to beat. And I think the, it's just the weight in the last 10, 15 minutes. That's what gets it for me. I, I hope I'm not too down on the lads. I think either way, it's a tight match. Um, I can't wait for it. I'm absolutely buzzing for it. I'm so excited. When I saw that team announcement early in the week uh, from them, it's, it really builds it up. It means there's so much to talk about and so much to think about how, how Andy Farrell is going to play it. You know, So, um, yeah, can't wait for it. No, it's set up to be an absolute cracker. I'd like to thank Keen and Luke for joining me tonight. And a reminder that later in the week, Sinead Kassam will have a left-wing podcast reacting to the team announcement. And then once again, after the game on Saturday, we'll have a left-wing podcast up almost exclusively after the final whistle. So all that to look forward to. But for the moment, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and please rate and review us there. So until next time, thanks for listening to us and goodbye. This is an Irish independent podcast.